Hi, it's Tim Smith from the Eden Project standing next to our space rocket and once again getting ready to blast off as we look for the best plants to take to a new planet. Having stashed away some clumps of beautiful bamboo in our previous episode, we've been thinking about what our second essential plant should be. This time, we've chosen a food plant that has its origins on the other side of the world, one that has changed the course of history in several countries. This is a wondrous foodstuff so fundamental to the ancient Incas of Peru that they measured time itself by how long it took to cook. Today, it is the fourth largest food crop, so versatile it can be grown in most places and so nutritious that some families in history have eaten little else and survived. The biggest producer on our planet is China, where it is far from a food favorite amongst the people, but where the government is determined to make it a new staple. This is the celebrated veg you can eat fried, scalloped, au gratin, mashed, wedged, roasted, baked, chipped and sautéed. Whatever takes your fancy. Yet, should you make the mistake of eating the wrong part of it, as we shall hear, you could end up in the soil. Of course, you'll have twigged by now that our new plant for a new planet is the apple of the earth, that starchy little miracle, the potato. We'll be hearing from a pair of brothers whose family has a rich history in growing spuds in a fertile valley, one of whom is now turning King Edwards into a high-grade spirit. What you're getting on the nose is the creaminess of the King Edward potato. So you're getting almost a vanilla, earthy note. We'll be learning from a woman with a deep passion for potatoes, about their place in culture and cuisine, and their future in feeding the world, and how, in her homeland of Ireland, peeling spuds led to an extraordinary form of manicure. People would have cultivated an, an extra long thumbnail typically on, on the right hand, and that was simply for peeling potatoes. Our first stop is right here at the Eden Project, where our global garden features all sorts of vegetables from around the world and many varieties of potato. Hannah Bullock headed down there to meet Eden horticulturist James Clark. Well, here I've got a potato called Innovator, which is a relatively new potato, but it's a russet potato. If I just... And is that like the apple? It is just like the apple, yeah, russety skin. So there you go. Oh yeah, it's, it, it really feels quite rough. Yeah, just like the russet apple, it makes it a really good baking potato. It gives it really good thick skin and lovely for baking, it makes it really crispy and nice. It's got a really good texture as well. Now, I'm going to start with quite a simple question. What is a potato? A potato is one of the wonders of nature. It's a storage organ, it's a tuber, and it stores energy uh, and nutrients, which allows the potato plant then to reproduce itself for the following year. So it's a brilliant source of energy for humans too? It is, yeah, it's packed full of carbohydrates, um, obviously that's the way it stores the sugars, and it's, it's a perfect little plant in a tuber. Now people tend to think of the spud as very British, we have them in pasties, it's fish and chips, but actually, it's not a British plant at all, is it, originally? No, it's not. It comes from South America, from Peru. It was first cultivated probably about 7,000 years ago, and it was introduced to, the, to Europe in, in the 1700s, where it's become massively popular. It's exploded from being a, a few different species to being hundreds of different varieties now. Isn't it one of the biggest crops around the world? It is the fourth biggest crop on the planet, 
It's only corn, rice and wheat which is grown more widely. Why is it such a successful crop then? Well, the beauty of potatoes is that obviously they are so versatile and they are really, really easy to grow. With first early potatoes, you can have a crop in as little as 12 weeks from planting. Through years and years of breeding, uh, we've got hundreds of different varieties of potato now and some are really, really quick. There's varieties like Swift and Rockets, which are really quick to produce. And we have just such a huge diversity of different flavours and textures and tastes and uses. Which varieties of potato are you growing in the Global Garden here? I do first earlies like Rosabelle and Sharps Express. I've got some really new, nice new varieties like Innovator and Diva. And I also grow blight resistant variety like Mira. Obviously blight in potatoes is a big problem in Cornwall uh, with the high humidity and warm summers we get. Now that's something I associate with the 19th century. Is it still a problem today? Oh, it is a real problem, yeah. So I actually get texts from a company called Blightwatch, um, which tell me if there's a what's called a Hutton criteria, which is when blight will be most at its, at, at its worst. That gives me a chance to come out and check the plants. It's kind of modern technology meets ancient disease. Exactly, yeah. I mean, we're organic in the vegetable garden here, so there's pretty much no chemical control that I can use to control blight. Really, it is a matter of choosing blight-resistant varieties and just keeping up on, on good sort of plantsmanship and keeping a good eye on things. Now, I notice these little um, almost cherry tomato-like fruits. Uh, yeah, they are the fruits of the potato plant. Potatoes come from the family Solanaceae, which is a wide family. It includes such species as, as potatoes, tomatoes, aubergines, as well as chilies and tobacco. Uh, but it's known as the deadly night, the nightshade family because it contains poisonous plants like nightshade as well. So yeah, the fruits, like a tomato fruit is obviously perfectly edible to eat, but the potato fruit contains solanine, which is an alkaloid poison. Uh, so I shouldn't be eating these. No, I mean, you can eat it once, but, <laughs> yeah. I, but you can eat anything once. What's your favourite potato variety? Well, personally, I'd love the pink fur apple potato. It's got lovely pink flesh, it's all knobbly bobbly, and it grows into weird and wonderful grotesque shapes. But I love all potatoes really I mean I just love the variety of the different colours you can get you can get red ones and purple ones and blue ones you can get ones with blue flesh which are amazing when you get blue mashed potato so if we wanted to take one up to colonize a new planet does that feel like a good idea to you easily yeah perfect because you can take the tubers with you they'll store really really easily and they're just a little plant in themselves ready to go imagine that growing blue potatoes on the red planet we wanted to know more about the past, present and future of this wonder food, so Hannah caught up on Skype with Aoife Cox in Dublin. Aoife loves potatoes so much she created an award-winning blog, The Daily Spud. She started by telling Hannah that, like Eskimo words for snow, in Ireland there are many, many different ways to describe the nation's favourite vegetable. One of my favourites is schlummock which means a soft, worthless potato. Mm -hmm. uh, another one uh, would be Gallifrotha, and what that means is the moon of the potato. What that refers to is a way of cooking the potato where you don't quite cook it the whole way through, so you leave a hard center, which they call the moon of the potato. And around the, the famine times and in that like 19th century, that is a way that they would have cooked potatoes for people who are going out to work in the fields because the, the hard center would take longer to digest. So basically it would sustain people for longer. 
Now, is it true that in the 19th century, Irish peasants actually developed a longer thumbnail specifically for peeling potatoes? Certainly, this is something that has been written about, that people would have cultivated an, an extra long thumbnail typically on, on the right hand, and that was specifically for peeling potatoes. So back in the 1840s, around the time of the potato famine, the Irish peasantry really was relying on this vegetable as their main source of food. Oh, oh very much so. Um, they reckon that ar around that time, so in the mid 19th century, that the average, like the adult intake of potatoes in Ireland, or certainly among that pe you know, peasant class, which was a lot of people, was probably about five and a half kilos per day. That seems so much. Yeah, it's a lot, but that's what people were subsisting on, probably supplemented with some milk or, or buttermilk, but I mean, that really was the, the diet. But potatoes are a great source of nutrition, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. They're what you could describe as like a very neat nutritional package. So they've got good levels of vitamin C, potassium, uh, you know, a good range of B vitamins. They've even got a small amount of protein. Isn't this nutritional value of potatoes something that governments and aid agencies around the world are really pushing? Potatoes are seen as very important for food security. You can feed more people from an acre of potatoes than you can from an acre of meat or an mm. acre of rice. The water requirements are lower than, say, growing something like rice. Places like China, there was a the real push to put more focus on potatoes because they've had land that's been contaminated by you know rapid industrialization so they're interested in potatoes because they can use the good land that they have to get more food out of it genetically it's very adaptable so that's also something which whether that's on earth or whether that's out in space that's something which is to its advantage so the vision in the martian of matt damon growing his own potatoes out in space is actually not that fanciful no, it's, it's certainly not. It's something that, going back to the 80s, NASA have been looking at as part of possible voyages to Mars, basically developing a system where a long voyage to Mars, which may take several years, it's not going to be realistic to bring all the food that the astronauts are going to need. So they have been looking at systems where the astronauts will grow their own food. So not just on Mars when they get there, but en route as well and potatoes are a mainstay of that project and they're important from not just obviously the food source but also they're absorbing carbon dioxide and producing oxygen so basically they're generating the atmosphere that the astronauts will live in while, while they're on the journey amazing then more recently and part and probably partly inspired by uh, the success of the martian NASA, in conjunction with the International Potato Centre in Peru, they've been doing experiments growing potatoes in simulated Martian conditions to kind of test out whether they think potatoes would actually grow in a Martian environment. And thus far, the results have been reasonably positive. They think that probably, yes, they, they could grow potatoes there. I love that idea. It's such a traditional vegetable, but it seems to have such a sci-fi future. Oh, absolutely. And even looking into the future Earthwise, the experiments that they've been doing, you know, looking at Martian conditions, are, are also very helpful for just looking at how the potato could be grown in really extreme conditions here on Earth. And that's probably going to be more and more the case with climate change and extreme weather events, that there are going to be 
some areas that would become more and more marginal. So having crops that can be grown in areas that are, you know, have high, high salt content or whatever it is, are going to be really important. And the, the potato is certainly going to be part of that story. So if you were taking a handful of plants off to a new planet, would you put potatoes in the spaceship? There's no question that I'd be bringing a few spots with me and uh, hoping to grow some more along the way. Now, just one final question. As a potato lover, how do you eat yours? I do get asked this a lot and I, I always come back to your own potatoes, just freshly dug out of the ground and, and boiled with a little bit of butter and salt and yeah, I'm happy. I'm with Aoife. There's no better way to eat a potato. But what to wash it down with? Hannah's next stop is a journey down the road from Eden to Colwith Farm, where brothers Chris and Steve Dusto are carrying on a deep family tradition, growing fields of potatoes for the plate, and now, as we'll hear, for the shot glass. So we're in a huge field here. How many acres is this? Um, it's a 55-acre block of land. Why potatoes? As years have gone by, like most businesses, we've had to specialise. We actually got a very mild climate here, so we can get away with planting potatoes very early, around mid-December, and they would actually be harvested in mid-April time. So we've got a real early advantage. Do you mind if we just pull up a few and take a look? The plants are starting to green up a bit now and take on board some of the moisture and hopefully start bulking some of the tubers underneath them. And actually pull this one up. Oh wow. Uh, as you can see there's a lot of potential there for these potatoes to start swelling and we'll end up with some nice early set skin bacon potatoes here. So all these millions of potatoes, what do you do with them next? The next process is obviously to harvest them out the ground then they'll travel up the road back to our grading facility where they can then be graded to the correct sizes, specifications and washed. These are actually just being dry bagged at the moment. When I say dry bagged, unwashed into a 25, 12 and a half kilogram bag. And these will end up in local farm shops and local retailers. What I want to know is how this humble brown thing gets made into clear vodka. So here we are heading up to Holwood Farm Distillery, a new site producing our potato vodka. So what we do is we take the King Edward potatoes from the grading facility. The first process is to chip them, then we cook the potatoes at two temperatures. And what we're trying to do is break down those starches into sugars. We then produce a potato wine, add some yeast and let that wine ferment. After a week we're left with a 9 to 11% alcohol. And then we single distill that alcohol, that wine, into a 96% bioethanol. And then the final process is we knock that bioethanol back with mineral water from the farm into a 40% vodka spirit. So it's completely Cornish? 100% Cornish process, yeah. What's really exciting is we're one of few producers in the country who actually produce plough to bottle spirits. So rather than buying in a mass-produced neutral grain spirit, we make our own spirit from scratch. That's exceptionally difficult to do takes us a long long time but the proof is in the tasting. I would love to try some. Oh, it's 
so clear. I can't believe this is made of potatoes. Mmm, <laughs> smells gorgeous. What is it that you put in there to flavour it? What you're getting on the nose is the creaminess of the King Edward potato. So you're getting almost a vanilla, earthy note. And if you swill it around the glass, you'll see it's quite viscous. It, it has legs, as they would say in the wine industry. That's right, down the side of the glass. And how should you taste vodka? Can you give me some advice? With a well-produced vodka like a Valdor, it should be palatable neat. So we would say serve it over ice and sip it, savour the flavour, let it wash across your palate. It really does just melt over your tongue. And what does a Valdor mean? A Valdor is Cornish for the word potato. A Val ah. is apple and Dor is of the earth. There you have it. Aval d'Or, or, as the French say, pomme de terre, the amazing Solanum tuberosum. So we raise a glass to the Incas, the Irish, the Chinese and the Cornish as we sack up our potatoes as a vital source of food and a good stiff drink, and prepare to blast off to our brand new planet.